We're back, Empires of the Future, talking today about college. Denton, what do you think about college? Hmm. I have mixed opinions about college. Uh, obviously, I'm a, I'm a college graduate. I've got my degree from USI. You as well are a college graduate. Uh, you got your degree from, what, 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 what college was it? What do you think it was? It was something about like um, boonies, um, <laughs> out in the sticks. Um, what, what was that name? What was the name of that college again? Hang on, hang on. I do actually know what it was. It was Midcontinent. It was. Um, which is as is defunct now, yeah, right? It's, it's a sad, sad story. <laughs> oh, we don't have to get into that. It yeah. seems like it might make you cry. So, well, there's that. a story for another podcast. A right story there. for another podcast. Yeah, uh, college is a fun. Um, I think a funny piece of conversation for me because I I went to college and am actually sort of still in college at uh, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, which is also your alma mater. There you where go. You received your MDiv. Um, but at the same time, if someone were to come up and just have a generic conversation with me about the merits merits of the college experience, they might find my answers to be interesting. Um, I have a, a love-hate relationship with college, I think. Yeah, it's all over the place. Uh, I, I could start by saying not everyone should go to college, certainly. Spoiler alert, I was going to say that. Hmm. It's like you're a little slow, my friend. Yeah, I was too slow. I was saving it till the end. <laughs> Yeah, I'll and, say it again. That's okay. And college can be a mixed bag. Uh, even for the people who should go to college, it's it's a mixed bag. There's a lot to be said for it, a lot to be said against it. And I think a lot of that stuff we will say today um, because, uh, you know, today the, the title is The Honest Guide to College, which uh, everybody needs an honest guide to college. Uh, I think you should always be afraid when sort of there are a variety of options and there's sort of this general kind of like, well, you got to do it. And especially there's a lot of things today that I think are driven by fear. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this ever since probably uh, the seventies in this country, there's been the, well, you got to go to college cause you probably, it, I'm concerned you might not be able to get a good job if you don't go to college. Yeah. Um, and that's been driven uh, in, in, in large part by uh, fears are a complicated thing because uh, the system is big. The system has been increasingly globalized and connected. Um, but, we are part of many generations that have sort of said, well, everybody should go to college. Yeah. And that's not, that's not the case. I, yeah. I'm going to boldly claim that is just not the case. Not every person should go to college, right. not least because there are plenty of jobs that don't require a college degree that are very needed from, you know, plumber to woodworking, all these trades that we do increasingly, thankfully hear more about, um, to look, I mean, I've I've heard in this town in the past couple of years that uh, that people people who own these garbage companies can't find guys to drive the trucks. And here's the thing, you know, look, I'm I'm not saying being a garbage man is necessarily a glamorous job, but what that typically entails now is you drive the truck, and then there's a mechanical arm that just pops down, grabs the <laughs> trash can, and then puts it in the dumpster and you move on this is more of a an operator job mm-hmm. and if you don't know much about operators operators typically are paid quite well as are uh garbage truck operators but uh, like many other jobs they're hard to find yeah yeah and and that's a really good point to make and i think we'll probably talk a little bit more about that um but the article that we kind of uh, are going to be looking at talking about today um it's an article written by lee burdett williams which is a woman Right. Uh, we both read this article and we we're like, Lee Burdett Williams. And I was like, oh, yeah, this guy wrote a really good article. And Jackson's like, I thought this was a woman. And we, we, we got to get to the bottom of this. Uh, Lee Burdett Williams is, in fact, a woman. 
and uh, wrote a great article that I think is is addressing. It's sort of um, written from the perspective of okay, you're considering college. Like yep. that's sort of the starting point. This is someone who has who has made up their mind that at least college is something they want, um, or or actually largely for parents, mm-hmm. uh, college is something they want for their children and mm-hmm. are encouraging them towards, and the children um, are are moving towards. And so there is a conversation to be had about the merits of college versus not, whether or not you should or shouldn't do it. Yep. Uh, but for, for our purposes today, largely what we're going to be looking at is um, those who are headed towards college and how can you be best prepared for college? Um, what should you expect when you go to college? Because uh, college students are coming in, um, many of them simply coming from high school, having a few weeks for the summer, and then coming into college. So they're coming to, to college or universities straight out of high school and in many cases find themselves largely unprepared. Um, I think some of the statistics that were, that were mentioned was that um, about 3 million college students arrive on, on college campuses. I'm assuming as, as she was writing, I'm assuming she means here in the United States, yep. about three, 3 million, I said 3000, about 3 million college students, first time students arrive on campus. Um, but about 1 million of them, won't make it through their first year. That's like a third uh, of college students that come in freshman year, um, new to this thing, and a third of them don't make it through the first year. That's not right. even talking about all those who don't end up graduating. Right. That's to say the first year proves to be too difficult, um, not what they expected, whatever the case may be. They were yeah. ill-prepared. Uh, and the, the writer, uh, Williams, sees this as an issue and, and is writing this article in order to help kind of address this issue, which I think is great. I mean, um, to see this, these numbers ought to cause us to go, okay, this is a problem mm-hmm. um, for various reasons. Um, but one reason that I think is, is extremely compelling is the fact that college is expensive. Right. And you might not finish that year of college, but guess what? They're still going to send you a bill for that year of college. Yep. Uh, and this is a lot of money that's kind of being racked up and accrued with nothing to show for it yeah. after that year. Um, so that's sort of what she's addressing. She's addressing this issue, um, and she po- poses the questions like, what goes wrong for so many of these students, and how can we stop the bleeding? Right, and she's in a unique position to do it. Her credentials are she's a former dean of students for the University of Connecticut and Wheaton College. So this is a person who has worked in the system, has seen many generations or many um, years of students coming through, and if you need a justification for this article and for this podcast, that is that is just so chilling and challenging to me to think. Uh, this article was written just about three weeks ago, on uh, released on the 31st of August uh, 2022 for CommonSense.News uh, on Substack. And to think 3 million students across this country for the first time walk onto a college campus, look around, and, and you know, it's a powerful feeling to be on a college campus. Yeah. It's, it's huge. There's people going every direction. Uh, in, in a lot of cases, I mean, what these schools have done, they've worked to make this campus a very impressive-looking place. You feel you like you're in, in something big and complicated, mm-hmm. and in a lot of ways you are. Mm-hmm. Um, but like a lot of things, I think this reality sets in late at night for a lot of college students. Like, what am, exactly am I doing here? How is this going to work out? How do I succeed in this place? And that's a complicated mess. And somewhere in that in between, 
3 million students show up on campus. And one year later, as the next group of students shows up on that campus, the dark underside is that one million of those students who were there the year before are not going to walk on that campus the next year. And exactly what you said is true. The money's been dropped. Mm -hmm. But some of the time has been spent. The professors are getting paid and uh, the programs are being developed. But these students, meanwhile, their life has taken some different course. And having worked with college students a long time, it's so concerning to me because um, in, in thinking, I, anybody who's listened to this podcast at all knows that uh, we mention individualism a lot. I've really come to the conclusion that college is the most individualized time in our life, both because we take an individualized program that we choose, but because as a result of that, you're on your own unique schedule, not common to anybody else, uh, that it's expected. There's a lot of this sort of like you're jettisoned. I mean, you're just moved out of your high school experience, even if you don't move out of your house, you you still are on your own plan. Yeah. Um, for a lot of people, uh, a lot of times, um, as somebody from a small town, you will be the first person in your family to go to college, and basically nobody in your family has much to tell you about how to make it in this situation. So you're very uh, isolated in that way, and you're just trying to sort it out, and a lot of people don't. I mean, think about that. One in three don't in this huge experiment. And those people do take on that debt, the disappointment, because uh, it's kind of like they say about the end of the world, it, it ends not with a bang, but with a whimper. A lot of times college ends not with a bang, but with a whimper yeah. that people kind of go, I don't know what that was. I don't know what to do about a lot of this or a lot of that. And so um, this is meant, uh, this article is meant, and we mean this podcast for uh, to be an honest, just encouragement about how to approach college and maybe even when you should take some time off and not approach college yet yeah. because uh, you need to think about that. This is not a foregone conclusion that you should just go, well, I don't know what else to do, so go to college. That is a lot like saying, I don't know what else to do, so I'm just going to go to the bank, take out a loan, and start a business. Mm-hmm. It's like if you don't feel like you know what that would mean, you should also not go and take out enormous debt for the sort of uh, incomprehensible good of education, quote unquote education. Because look, um, one of the tough things about the way we do schooling is we expect to learn as kids, but it's not nearly so expensive to learn when you're a kid. And then we get conditioned to this sort of weird idea like, well, you're going to do a lot of tests and write a lot of papers that that nobody wants to read and nobody wants to grade particularly. Uh, And you're going to have that output that is not necessarily that exciting to anybody who's going to receive it. I mean, think about that. You're you're writing a paper that you don't want to write for a professor who doesn't necessarily, a teacher, that is, who doesn't necessarily want to read it for this grade. But then you get conditioned into this and then at a certain point go, oh, by the way, the stakes are about to be raised. I hope you're okay with this because you're about to pay a whole lot more for this experience uh, and the stakes are going to be raised from the challenge level. The stakes are going to be dramatically raised from the cost level. And for a lot of people that is not working. Right. Um, so what do we do about that? That's the big question today. Right. And so I, th- I think in the article, Williams points out a few problems and I would say some of the main problems that she points out uh, are number one, unrealistic expectations by the parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and largely, this is what comes into the conversation in that these parents have, in many cases, children who are under their care 
and have been for some time and um, largely in, in many of the situations, not all the time, but many of the students who fail, um, they have been under their parents' care uh, to a large degree, to, to such a degree that, um, that the idea of doing things on their own is somewhat um, beyond their, their scope. They're, they're, that's not really a part of their, I don't know, understanding, I guess, their, their experience uh, because they've, they've had parents that largely have done so much for them that the idea of doing, doing things on their own doesn't necessarily, it's not something they, they have the, the tools for, um, which is kind of the second problem is that there's un, unprepared students, mm-hmm. that students are coming into college not prepared for what they're about to walk into. And like you said, you walk onto a college campus, I know I did, um, especially as a homeschool student. I walked onto USI's campus for the first time and I was frankly like really, really intimidated yeah. um, by the prospect of, of you know, being there on the university campus about my classes and the things that I had to do and, and also knowing um, sort of the, the costs associated with it as well. Um, so it is an intimidating thing. And I think students are largely unprepared for, for what it is that is expected of you in college. And then the, the third kind of problem that has helped form the situation is ill-equipped faculty and resource officers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that it seems to me that, that parents in, the, in this article – um, parents are thinking, okay, this university, this college has all of the resources necessary to take absolute care of everything that my child needs, um, to the same degree that I am yeah. almost to an extent. Um, and therefore <clears throat> I can trust this university with my baby, with my yep. child, yep. Uh, and they will make sure that their every need is met and everything is cared for. And because of that mentality, students are unprepared for what they're getting into and as it turns out, the faculty and the resources available on campus are not the kind of resources that those parents were expecting and not the kind that can meet the needs that they expected to have met. Right. And it has resulted in all of this. And, and one of the main problems, the, the article addresses a lot of, there's a lot of mental health issues and uh, extreme rises in depression and anxiety um, in fact, around 44% of all college students report symptoms of depression and anxiety. Yep. 44%. That's wild to me. It's wild to me for various reasons, but um, for one thing, I mean, these are primarily people, individuals in their youth, largely healthy um, lifestyles, or they still have a large part of their health, um, minimal obligations and, and restrictions on their life. And yet, some of the highest rates of depression and anxiety. Yep. And I think all of this contributes to that. Uh, and the the number, the rate of students taking psychiatric medication has doubled since two thousand seven. Between two thousand seven and two thousand nineteen, uh, the article points out, and it's now at twenty five percent. Twenty five percent. So that's pre pandemic. Pre yeah, pre pandemic. Yeah, you can only imagine what it is now. Um, that twenty five percent in twenty nineteen of students on college campuses are taking some sort of psychiatric medicine for things like depression and anxiety. And that's, that's not what it used to be. And right. that's not, that's a problem. And we ought to see that and see it as a problem. And I think it's contributed by all of these things. And so the, the article is, is I think hoping to remedy some of these problems um, so that not only are finances not being lost, but students aren't being put through the ringer um, because it is very hard to just, blame us we we would like to maybe just blame students like well you're just you know just you're kind of lazy didn't make the cut whatever 
But if these students, by their parents and by colleges and universities, are being given this kind of expectation, not having things set straight for them, and and not also not being equipped, then they're thrown into this, and it's not healthy for them either. Yeah. Uh, to be kind of thrown into the this, it's like being thrown into a dryer, you know, just tumbling all around, uh, not expecting it, you know. Yeah, and one of the changes, um, as I mean, think about uh, a product that at first costs a fair amount. You have to convince people it's worthwhile. You'll learn a really important skill. Um, you know, you'll learn to manage uh, a bank or you'll, you'll, learn to, uh, you'll learn to study uh, zoology. You'll, I mean, think of anything that, that you know has historically required college. But think of the change that has come since the 70s, which is basically you don't have to sell this anymore. Uh, people are going to come to you and say, I got to have that. What that has meant is, I mean, the curious thing, I remember uh, when I turned, you know, like 17, and I started getting these letters in the mail. Say, hey, have you thought about our college? I'm like, what are you, why am I getting this in the mail? Uh, and they just come and they come and they come and they go, look, you, we're pretty sure we'd accept you. And I'm like, I didn't know I had to be accepted. Uh, and that, you know, all these colleges sort of uh, this, even if you do whatever college you choose to apply to, they send you this letter like, oh, congratulations, we've accepted you. And I'm like, is there a chance that I wouldn't be? I don't know how this works. Well, it's because historically you would have to be accepted. To the elite schools, you still have to be accepted. But in these schools that anybody will be accepted to, they're still playing the game to go, hey, congratulations, you got in. We take everybody, but <laughs> you, you got in. Um, and we, we will gladly let you pay money to come here. That's right. Yeah. And it's, it's just uh, uh, still this, this game is sort of strange. Uh, but then, okay, so what? So I, I get in, then what? And what has been the next sale sort of has been, oh, don't worry, parents, who are, we're also trying to sell on this. We will take care yeah. of Tommy. We will take care of this child uh, that you have raised and don't worry, they'll just be just as well taken care of here as they are at home, which is exactly what parents want to hear. But one thing that uh, Lee Williams here is saying is stop saying that. And if they're, they do tell you that, don't believe it. Yeah. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, especially I appreciate Was this the, the article? I read a few articles uh, yesterday. Was this the article that mentioned snowplow parenting? Uh, I don't remember that in there. No, man. Then let me introduce this term because I think it is a very powerful term. If uh, probably most people have heard the term helicopter parenting, which is sort of the last. I mean, it's a it's generally a critical term, but it's ba basically just an uh, assessment or an observation about the style of parenting prevalent, uh, probably for millennials in general that uh, would always be watching to make sure if, if help is needed for a little child that immediately you're there as the helicopter parent, just kind of hovering around your child. Isn't the moment a, uh, a help is needed. What do you think snowplow parenting is then? then? I, I have the picture of a snowplow obviously, but uh, sort of pushing them into situation, push them maybe even out the door. So uh, snowplow parenting would be, you are going in front of them clearing out any problems that might be in their oh, way. See, I totally misunderstood. You, you <laughs> I missed it all together. I, I thought the student was the snow. Uh, <laughs> <but> sorry. <laughs> I know the, so the, this means clearing the way Okay. you, you, you know, you could th compare it to helicopter parenting. Uh, whereas the helicopter parent wanted to help, the young person to clear all these things. The snowplow parenting would go in front of the student, clear out any problems before they happened. And uh, that is obviously also a, a bit of a critical analysis, but also yeah. I think uh, warranted for a fair amount of what I've seen. Um, 
you could imagine, you know, uh, snowplow parenting going ahead of students to make sure they would uh, make the soccer team to make sure that they would get into the college uh, to mm. be there present if they are told no you didn't get into this college to immediately shield them from any of that disappointment yeah. and as a result I mean a, a part of the concern that I've read in a lot of places is that uh, these young people have not dealt with challenges yeah it sounds like a, a snowplow parent would be a good picture of one would be like when there was that college uh, admission scandal where these parents yep, yep. were paying yep. money to get these kids in, into these elite universities, pretending they were like athletes and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, basically completely clearing the way so that there was no even possibility of rejection or anything. Yeah. That Aunt Becky got caught in Lori Laughlin from full house. <gasps> she got arrested over Not that. Not Aunt she, Becky. I know. Uh, she went to jail over that for wow. a short time uh, because she did that for one of her kids. Um, so that's, that's, been going on yeah. and uh and in regard to that this is exactly what lee williams is saying look that's a part of the problem here because college has to be challenging uh for your student to get anywhere there are challenges in the real world and college yeah. has has been a training ground for a real job um where you will, well, first of all, you, you will be disappointed by not getting certain jobs, but then you will run into challenges uh, in getting into those jobs. I mean, a job exists because uh, something will not do itself. So you have to find ways to accomplish that, given that there are things that are against you. And uh, that is a part of the goal of college. But again, from a sales standpoint, a lot of colleges have presented themselves to go, well, look, parent, we will take just as good a care as your child as you have, and we'll get them across the finish line. We'll create this safe place for them to uh, find themselves. And man, uh, you're finding yourself at a very expensive rate. And uh, so we, we can move now to what I appreciate. Uh, she has some advice, and, and we've kind of worked this up some, too. At, uh, the reason that we chose this article is it made sense, I think, to us as well on the experiences yeah. you and I have had from college. Um, and so I appreciate her advice, and, and uh, so we'll move through these things here. So number one uh, is master, quote, activities of daily living. This yeah. is directly... From her, uh, she talks about how Admiral William McRaven got a best-selling book out of a commencement speech that encouraged graduates to make your bed. Yeah, yeah. I so have you ever have you ever watched that speech or anything? No, have you? Uh, so I've I've watched clips of it. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's a really good speech, and in the speech he promotes the idea of making your bed, and the idea being, uh, it's and make your bed first thing. Start your day yeah. by making your bed. You will then have started your day with a task completed. Yeah. And it's, it's a really basic concept, but really good and, and really good to promote uh, ability to take care of yourself, to meet yep. daily needs and activities. It's starting you off on the right tra track each and every day. Yep. Uh, not to mention the fact that it's teaching you discipline, that this yep. is something you do every single day. Um, and so I, I, it's a really good speech, but I love this kind of she takes it and runs with it and says, yeah, if you want to be able to make it in college, you have to be able to first and foremost function in daily life yep. with with some degree of autonomy and responsibility yep. uh so even things like self-care like knowing how to do your laundry uh making sure that you bathe every day she talked about it, her experiences and and how sometimes parents were shocked to find that their students that they'd sent off to college 
they had they were completely ill prepared for this, and sometimes they weren't they weren't eating well, um, and sometimes weren't even bathing on like a yep. regular basis, yep. and so just wild stuff that these these students were sent off to college completely ill-equipped yep. um, to even handle the most daily activities, the things that we that ought to be functionable for anyone. Right. Um, but even beyond that, uh, it's good advice that, that she gives here to, to begin growing uh, your ability to handle duties and responsibilities yep. before you ever leave college. And, and she says, preferably not the uh, summer before you go to college. Sure. Uh, these should be things being implemented and practiced ahead of time. And uh, one of the things that, that she recommends, I, I think is great. And this is so funny. I, I talked to you about um, sort of how this article was written. She's kind of saying things that I think a lot of people would be off put by, uh, even maybe take offense to, but I think they're good things. Um, she promotes the idea of getting a job, yeah, getting a part-time job or summer job, something after school, uh, even if it's a volunteer basis, but yep. taking on responsibility. Um, man, I know for me, like w I started working when I was 14, uh, which is young, I grant you, but I wanted to, I wanted to be able to have money to, to spend. And so I started working when I was 14 and that alone, I think set me up for success in life. I started working at McDonald's. I mean, I didn't start working any glamorous jobs. I wasn't doing anything fancy. I got a job that almost anyone can get. I went out to, Mac to McDonald's. Uh, and got a job there and worked there for four and a half, almost five years. Yeah. Did you work and, right over here on the east side of Evansville? Uh, no, I worked on the west side. Oh, yeah. You lived out. on the west side. Yeah, I forgot. Right, right, right. Yep. So, um, and loved it for one thing, but also, yeah. I mean, it just taught me responsibility and yep. um, doing what I need to do and, and things like that. And she promotes this as a good means of preparing for college. Uh, if you are in high school and, and wanting to know how can I best prepare for college, take on responsibilities. Yep. You know, go find yourself a job that you can work part time after school, whatever yeah. uh, summer jobs, um, find ways to bring responsibility on yourself rather than putting it off yourself. Um, I think you'll find that it will serve you well going forward. Um, and for me, I worked all the way through college. Now, some some students will, if they can afford it, not work during college. Sure. Um, and, you know, that's fine as well. But working a job leading up to that will teach you the discipline and the skills necessary to succeed in college. Right. So I think that's great advice. Get a job. Even, yeah. Even in high school. And I would like to, um, to mention that something that happened to me uh, early high school is I really started questioning, uh, why, why is everybody doing the things that they do? How do these people get out of bed in the morning? And, and not everybody, this ha happens to them, but I really had purpose issues. I needed to know beyond just, well, it's just what people do. I just kind of, well, that's not good enough for me. Like, I don't, I don't, I need to care about this. Otherwise, I'm not doing this. I, I can't get myself to care about this. And they're finding this is the case, it, it, uh, it, certainly by college for a lot of people, that you need to give beyond just like, well, that's because that's what you got to do. And I, I've talked to, I, I've talked to plenty of young people who go, yeah, when I asked my parents, they'd say, well, you got to, uh, you got to get out of bed. You got to get uh, an education so you can get a job. Well, why? So you can have money. Why? So you can buy a house. I don't care about buying a house. Well, that's what everybody does. So that's what you should do. If you, if you are hearing this as a frustrated parent or any kind of authority figure, well, look, some of this stuff goes to spiritual issues. And for me, I needed purpose in life in general. I really did. I, I, didn't, I didn't care enough to learn all the things. If there's nothing, ultimately, no reason for it. And I can tell you the turn really happened for me at college age 
And in particular, um, at 19, I started, I was asked to teach middle school boys and to, to read the Bible and then to go, this is not just an elementary exercise. This is not just an educational experience. I need to read this to have the best presentation to then reach these young guys who don't care. They're going to walk into this room not caring about this Bible. But I want to be, I want to know enough about this and then be interesting enough that I can help them to care because I want to help them in their life. I remember what it was like to be in middle school and have no idea what I was doing and be discouraged and frustrated and confused. But I want to help them. And the more I notice week to week what was happening was I was becoming a better person. I was caring more. I was feeling a sense of purpose in that. And that changed a lot for me because I went, this is a great reason to get out of bed. Mm -hmm. So I can be better at what I'm doing so that I can help them be better at what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And this in some ways for me is, is uh, just a story in finding your calling, yeah. finding what you love to do that is also an effective, helpful way to change your world. I mean, Frederick Buechner said, your calling is where your greatest joy and the world's deepest needs cross. And so for everyone, whatever it is, um, ask yourself simultaneously, what is it that I really love to do, but that is also helpful to other people, uh, helpful to the world at large? Uh, and then begin to just trace those things out. You know, for instance, also, I mean, I like playing video games, but that didn't help anybody. That didn't connect with my purpose. It has become and still is just a, a pastime in the meantime. And so that development is challenging. Look, you have to try some things to find that stuff out. But that to me also falls under this. I needed a reason to, to do all these things. Yeah. And, and a part of that was finding a, a social circle too. Some, some people in college don't shower because there's nobody around them who will say, hey, you smell. Yeah. You have to have yeah. people that, are, that you're with that will say to you, hey, this is just a necessary thing. Yeah. Um, and, and so developing that, being involved in things yeah. and trying things is important for that one. Yeah. And I think this is a little bit of a word for parents, too. Um, so get ready. I have uh, now three children. Uh, the oldest is three. So clearly, I am very qualified to give parenting advice. So I'm about <laughs> to give you some. Um I, I, I do think this is this is legitimate, though. I think a part of the problem with these college students as they're coming into the, the university and why they don't have a desire, they're, they're kind of going, why, why does it matter if I get up out of my bed and if I go to classes and if I pass these classes? Um, because for them, they don't have an understanding of a sort of a cause and effect of what they do impacting uh, not only meeting their desires, but meeting their needs as well yeah. and things. And I think one of the things that parents can do to help with this and what I hope to do with my boys is I think... I've seen some of the most, some of the more lazy individuals that I've met in my life around my own age, my own peer group and things, uh, and in college were those who growing up had all of their wants granted to them mm -hmm. and had n never had to earn any of them. And I think uh, as parents, many well-meaning parents, um, in a desire to meet all of their kids' needs also seek to meet all of their kids' wants and desires. Yeah. And when you do that, you're setting your child up for failure in life ultimately. And like I said, it's oftentimes out of good motivations. But if your child never has to earn anything, if you growing up never have to earn anything uh, or understand the need for responsibility, mm -hmm. um, then it's going to be a struggle in life after that. And yeah. so, for example, um, if I wanted to be able to drive, I had to be able to pay for gas yep. and I had to be able to pay for my insurance. Yep. Um, my mom was, was gracious enough to give me a hand-me-down car for my sisters, which was awesome. Some parents can't even afford that. Yep. Um, and so sometimes that is a need that has to be met. 
But basically, if I wanted to be able to get out and, and go and hang out with my friends and go places and drive, um, which was a desire of mine, my yep. mom didn't just grant me that desire no matter what. Right. She said, I'll help you, um, but you have to you have to meet your needs in this or your, your, your desires. desires yeah. This. Yeah. And uh, I, my mom was never going to let me go hungry. She was never going right. to let me go unclothed. Uh, but my mom was, was not going to give me everything that I wanted, even if it was within her ability. Yep. She wasn't going to do that, uh, because that's not what's best for children. Right. And I mean, I know, uh, because we've talked in the past that when you were first working at McDonald's, what was on your mind was a video iPod and that yes, you worked sir. to buy that. Yeah. And these are things that, Look, this is a great reason for a young person. Look, it's something that they want that they can then. It, it's practical. I mean, this is look. I've I've read things now about like goals, S M A R T. Specific goals should be specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and timely. Yeah. These this is how goals should work. That that you should be able to see if I work this long, I can get this thing. And that's exactly what the iPod was for you. You could measure how many paychecks it would take you to get there. You understood, okay, for every hour I spend here, this is how close I'm getting to that goal. And these are things that it's a big deal to learn that. And this is all over the place. I mean, I was listening to a podcast this week where Mark Cuban was being interviewed and the first step in him making all the money that he was made is he went to his dad when he was about 14 and he said, I loved basketball. And I went to my dad and I said, dad, my shoes are all worn out and I need some new shoes. I want some new shoes because I want to play basketball uh, and, and I, I have to have new shoes for that. And he said, my dad looked down at my feet and he said, son, those shoes look just fine to me. If you want new shoes, you need to Go find a way to make some money and buy new shoes. And for the first time, he looked around at the world and he went, is there a way for me to make money to buy myself new basketball shoes? And so what he did at that same, his dad was playing cards with his buddies. And at that same table, one of the other guys said, I got a whole bunch. I got a, I got a garage full of trash bags. If you want to walk your neighborhood and sell trash bags to people, I'll... I'll sell you the trash bags. You could sell them at a marked up rate. And that's the first thing he did. He walked his neighborhood, knocking on doors saying, hey, you want to buy trash bags? And he sold cheap trash bags wow. to people in his neighborhood. Uh, and you can see then how a business sense might have been developed out of this. Yeah. And these basic things, look, this is, um, I think what you just said is really helpful, that it's not about denying needs. It's about, it's about not catering to wants necessarily right. and understanding the difference. Yeah, you've got to distinguish the difference. And you can begin to see actually how you can begin developing these things early on. Yep. Uh, it's as simple as with my three-year-old. Uh, he wants to get a popsicle. Yep. Hey, you know, you, I'll let you get a popsicle, but first you've got to clean up these toys yep. and then you get a popsicle and you understand the the reality of having to earn things and work for things and, uh, or this and that. And so, yeah. I mean, at, at, at seven, my oldest is already asking for a phone and I can tell you, I don't know when we're going to let him have the phone, but I can, it, I can see right now when he does, he's going to work for it because he wants it. It, yeah. it is going to be a big milestone yeah. and a, and a yeah. teachable, uh, moment yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, just, for him it's just capitalizing on that willingness to right work for. i mean it, if you you know have a child that wants a thing like that they're probably going to be willing to work for that's it. right you've got to foster that rather than on you know go around it yeah it. so yeah, i want to mention uh number two because i thought this was i hadn't thought about this at all just as a, a kid who grew up in a small town where i look there was not counseling going on yeah. in the 90s when i'm walking around harrisburg illinois uh there's just not much of it uh happening and nor did <laughs> nor was anybody in my family wealthy enough to pay for counseling um but i think this is a great piece of advice uh because of what Liberdet has seen i'm sorry Liberdet williams has seen uh, in her uh, dealings with sort of help and, and things on campus. Uh, keep your help. Mm -hmm. 
if you have a relationship already with a counselor, especially in post-pandemic, I think this is a great bit of advice because uh, online uh, counseling is very available now uh, so that don't think, well, if I'm going to move to a new town, I'll just find somebody there. Especially don't think I'll go and go on this college campus and get help uh, for my depression or anxiety or whatever it is that you might need. If you are already, uh, if you already have that relationship, keep that relationship. Uh, why do you think she says this? Well, I think she says this for a couple of reasons. I, I think part of it is, as we said, uh, colleges and universities promote this idea that whatever needs your kid has, we can meet them. Like yeah. we are equipped, we can handle it. Um, and then it come to find out, Oh, Ooh, those are actually pretty serious needs and requirements, yeah. and we might not be able to actually meet those fully. And so she kind of lays out certain things like if you uh, struggle with alcoholism or if you struggle with um, cutting or if uh, you have severe antisocial issues, these are, are serious problems. And while, yes, there might be um, resource professionals or, or people there, student affairs um, professionals that, that will be there and able to uh, maybe help to a certain extent. She says that a lot of times these universities have kind of generalized uh, uh, people to, to handle these kinds of issues, but they're not specialists. Right. They're not designed to be able to help all of these students with these serious, serious issues. Right. And, and you shouldn't expect them to. And so, right. uh, you know, part of the question is, well, are my needs, what do I, do I need um, more help than this university can, can give me? Uh, and if the answer is yes, which it, it may very well be, then the questions you need to start asking are, okay, well then is going to this university going to be feasible for me? Or if I do, how can I also get aid assistance, like you said, from, from people that I'm already connected with and counselors that I might already have or professionals that I already have? Essentially, the, the proposal is don't think of college as a treatment center. Right. Uh, that, can, that can fix all of your mental illnesses while at the same time, provide you an education and, and set you up for the future. Right. It's a bad view of, of college. Right. Every college is designed to be a place where uh, primarily professors are employed to dole out information, education to willing and able students. That is the general idea of a college. And I just looked up because I was interested in a ratio, even at uh, the, the largest local state school here, which is the University of Southern Indiana, their enrollment is around uh, 11,000. That's uh, so the last number that I, I could quickly pick up. How many counselors do you think, uh, and not counselors like admissions counselors, but sort of like emotional health and, and these kinds of counselors, how many counselors do you think they employ? Oh, man. <laughs> I bet not many. I'm going to, this is a guess, I'm going to guess maybe 20. Right, and that's the number that came to my mind as just an out-of-the-air number. But look, if you, I don't care if you move that number up to 50 or 100. This is an intensive yeah. issue. Yeah. And you're talking 11,000 students versus, listen to the number again, 20. Yeah. And you know, if you have, um, having had quite a few people come to me with issues, this is not a sort of 15-minute meeting you're typically talking about. Mm -hmm. we're, we're not here dealing with like tech support where it's like, oh, your router's not working. Uh, this is typically someone who has multiple issues because uh, people are generally uh, set up in such a way as if you have 
kind of one issue. Say you break your arm. You then get a course of uh, planning for how to fix that. You have some time with someone who knows how to immediately fix that, and then you kind of go on about your business, and then you, you sort of have this, this dip down in health that then is a curve going back upwards. This is typically not what you're dealing with in terms of emotional health or mental health. Mm-hmm. Uh, multiple issues that can cause kind of cascading struggles, mm-hmm. and so very time-intensive. And all this just to say, keep your own help because the school has sort of um, kind of support services to mental health professionals is what you should think of them as. Exactly, which is why they oftentimes call them support services. Uh, this is not a clinical setting. You're not sending your children to a, uh, a, a mental institution that also happens to be a college. Right. No, this is a college. This is a university. Uh, their main task is not dealing with your child's mental health. Not only is it not their main task, it's not even on par with what their main goal is. Right. The expectation that unfortunately colleges don't always put forward is that your student would come to college and be able to do the work needed right. to graduate and, right. and to get through this. Um, and so that needs to be the understanding. Not that the university is going to make sure that your student uh, is, is cleaned up of all of their medical issues and mental illness, uh, but rather to say, you know, we'll, we'll help you if you need some support, but right. I mean, we're not, not going to be able to solve your problem. So don't view it that way. And so why then are a lot of these schools saying, Oh no, no, don't worry. We have support staff to take care of that. Why? I think I think we're going to get into that more later. But let's hold off on that. Because sure. I think I think there is an answer. I don't want to get to that too soon. Okay. Um the the next proposed kind of advice that she gives um is that college needs to not be viewed uh as a kindergarten. She she says it in the article and this is this is maybe part of why I thought it was written by a man cuz some of this is rather like firm um language, but she says it's college, not kindergarten. Um, and the, the point being, be prepared to struggle. Sometimes you're going to fail, uh, but you can get stronger. Uh, and, and, and she talks about how all the time students nowadays are coming, asking teachers to avoid criticism, to use, uh, what she calls supportive language, quote unquote. Um, and in many times asking for extensions and, and moving of, of deadlines and things like that. Um, which, sure, there are times when things come up in your life yeah. and you need an extension on something. But the problem is it's become an expectation that teachers ought to be regularly and sort of without reservation giving these things out. And what's yeah. oftentimes said is, well, I had these accommodations in high school. And the response that, that teachers oftentimes have to give is, well, this isn't your high school. Yeah. And the expectation is that you come to college able to meet the requirements that college demands. Yep. And unfortunately, you know, I, in my college experience, even many of the professors I dealt with were totally willing to go along with these sort of demands as well. Yep. Um, even in college now and in, in some universities, uh, the, um, the inability to meet deadlines and, and meet requirements uh, is accepted and tolerated and even fostered in, in that inability. Uh, and it, it's, it's kind of amazing the, because there is such a fear of, oh, how, how terrible, how devastating would it be to, you know, this person who's struggling with this mental illness for them to be told they failed or they can't have an extension or, or whatever. Well, guess what? That's life. Yep. You know, 
uh, you, you, this, these are the requirements that you also agreed to right. when you not only came to college, but read my syllabus and, uh, and you know, these are the requirements. I didn't spring this on you. Yep. You need to be able to meet them. Yeah. And, and look, uh, just so it's clear, uh, on this one, I, I want to speak as a person who has failed uh, in college and knows that uh, some of some of what you have to learn to do is how to fail and how to just go, well, all right, I guess that happened. Let's try something different. Uh, I had pre-calculus in high school, and then uh, I'm not the kind of person, especially back then, I wasn't the kind of person to go, well, I'll test out a pre-calculus in college since I've already had that class. I just went, you know what? It's not like I worked hard at pre-calculus in high school. I'll just take that class again. And I coasted through it. I didn't do the homework. I just coasted through. I got A's on the test. I went, Psh, got this. All right. So I was in physical therapy at that time as a program. Uh, calculus came along. Didn't study for the first test. Uh, felt like I knew some of what was going on in it. Uh, probably got like, a, I don't know, a 91 on the first test. I went, okay. I'll take that. That'll be fine. Didn't study anymore. Second test came along. Got like an 82 on it. Went, well, okay. I didn't study, so 82 will do. Uh, the next test came along. Got a 73 on it. Went, okay. Uh, I'm a little behind. Maybe I should be doing more of this work. I don't really know how to do this homework. I'm kind of behind. I don't think I'm going to do that. I guess I will keep focusing on my other classes to whatever degree I am. I'm still, I don't like the idea of doing this homework. Next test comes along. Got like a 60 on it. And went, I'm definitely in trouble. Definitely in trouble. Next test comes along, got like a 54 on it. And I'm looking around going, wow, for the first time ever, I am not making it. Uh, I don't, I'm not going to go back and do uh, five tests worth of homework, you know, like whatever, seven weeks of homework. What do I do? And I look around and I thought, well, I guess there's nothing to do, but drop this class, which is what I've heard. So uh, I went to the professor, told him I was dropping the class. Um, he was very kind. It was, it's, I look back on it, it's very strange. He's like, well, I consider this my fault. And I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> sure, I'll, I'll go along with that. But that, that didn't matter that much because uh, I went down and, and I said, hey, I'm going to drop this class. And they said, well, you're past the deadline for, um, for getting any money back. Ooh. So uh, what you just paid... Uh, which at the time at Southeastern Illinois College, a junior college outside of uh, my hometown, uh, I think I ended up paying, I don't know, $770 for this calculus class. And then I looked around and I thought, I paid that, I paid, you know, a couple hundred dollars for this book, $900. And what have I gotten out of it? Wow, I have gotten like pretty much nothing. Yeah. I yeah. paid to sit in that class and take the test. That's what I just paid for. Yeah. And that, you want to talk about a learning experience in my life. I just, because um, my, my mom had told me very early on, like, look, we, I'm, if you want to go to college, I'm happy for you to do that. We don't have the money to pay for it. So I began to take on, you know, what loans I had to take on, pay what I could as, as I went. And so I'm also thinking, this is my money that I'm spending. What am I doing right now? Yeah. And it was a learning and growing experience. Uh, there are many other stories that I could tell. I mean, I have a, a story about uh, I'm very bad with progress sheets, uh, keeping track of what classes I would need. I just sort of kept showing up, taking classes, hoping that this was getting me somewhere. Oh, no. And that was a very bad idea. <laughs> Thankfully, I ended up uh, at my Bible college and in the, 
the second to last, my college is closed now, so I can tell these stories. I sat in the dean's office and I said, wow, I need to graduate. I've been in college for four and a half years. And he's like, oh, so you want to graduate when? And I said, ah, next semester if possible. And um, colleges are not really designed to take transfers in general. Um, but I'd taken uh, classes for four and a half years. So he just started marking off required classes in my Bible, biblical studies degree. Like he said, oh, you need a class in children's ministry. I'll accept child psychology that you took at Southeastern Illinois College. But he was putting a lot of different things in. And he made it to where I could graduate just kind of deans, I guess, can do this sometimes just to shift in classes. They're not really supposed to that much. Um, but thankfully, that worked out for me there. Um, I say this so that everyone out there, please hear me, uh, get your progress sheet uh, of what classes are required to graduate with a degree. Live by that thing. Mark those classes off and get out of there because it's costing you money every semester that you're not doing it. Uh, there's a lot of failure that can happen in college, but if you learn from it, then it, it matters. Yeah. And, uh, and there is no better learning experience than throwing $900 into the trash can. Right, Jackson? Oh, yeah. I, I can tell you um, what I thought about a lot that day was, how many video games could I buy with $900? Oh <laughs> I could have bought so many games. I could have bought new game systems. I could have bought a lot of a lot of things I could think of that I would have rather spent $900 on and not a calculus class. That I get no credit for. Yeah. Ooh, that is so it, funny it that was, that's what you're... you're it, oh, yeah. It was a shot yeah. to the stomach, and, for and, sure. And so this is a part of the lesson is that, like, what you need... And, and this is a word that came up one time in the article. And I think I think is a word that needs to be heard more in, uh, in life in general, but particularly on college campuses, is resilience. That there is a, a sort of conditioned helplessness that a lot of students come into college with yep. that... Frankly, you know, sometimes it's parents that have contributed to it. Sometimes yeah. it's it's their um, high school and in grade school experience where they're expecting these special accommodations and, yeah. and it's sort of a learned, a conditioned helplessness uh, to where then they expect that in college. And either it's got to be given to them and yeah. per- keep perpetuating this helplessness or hard lessons are going to have to be learned. Yep. I would propose, man, learn these hard lessons before you get to college and start spending all this money yep. uh, and learn learn resilience. Yeah. I mean, it's something that's lacking in, in, in our world today. It's lacking, especially mm-hmm. on college campuses. And I'll tell you one way in which I see this a lot uh, is the rise in how many pets are now you see on college yeah, campuses. Yeah. So this idea of s- emotional support animals. Yeah. All right, I might trigger some people here. I don't care. Uh, the idea of emotional support animals has gotten completely out of hand yeah. um, to the point that we are now telling college students, hey, if you can't come and be here at college unless you have your dog with you or your cat with you, then that's fine. By all means, bring your dog, bring your kitty. And now you've got cats and dogs all over the university because students have don't even have the fortitude or the resilience to leave their house without this pet by their side. And you see these... These animals coming to classes, going into cafeterias and things like that. And it's just like, man, how is this good for society to just perpetuate this kind of, um, man, uh, this, yeah, lack of resilience at all that I can't function without my cat. Well, and I would just encourage, um, you need emotional support people. Uh, leading among them for me would obviously be God. But after that, I can tell you all kinds of great times where in a situation like this, I would go and sit in the lunchroom and just whoever was around that day would sit. And I I just tell them like, look, I just had to drop this class. Oh yeah. What happened? Well, this is what happened. 
and and don't hide your failures. Yeah. And and if you if you if you share a failure and you have people who say like, well, I've never done anything like that. Well, look, you're going to have people who identify with you and encourage you, and yeah. and that's a great opportunity to develop friendships. We we are constantly trying to think of the good things that we're doing to try to develop fr- friendships around. Man, failure will bring you together with yeah. with kind-hearted people who will say to you, look, it's all right. I get it. I get it. I had so many people who uh, at lunchrooms at college I would just sit and talk to. is a great opportunity. And, and I do think sort of the corollary to this one is work hard, play hard. Find things to do that are fun yeah. on weekends. There's nothing like in college when you have time to go. I know you did a lot of rock climbing in college. Yeah. They, yeah. Find people who like to do what you like to do. And, man, get out there and do it because yeah. you have opportunities then that you don't have other times. Yeah. In fact, uh, most universities offer all kinds of fun things for you to do. Yep. Take advantage of those. Give it they're, a shot. They're, many of them are just completely paid for by the university. I, I hesitate to say they're free. I mean, you've already you've paid, paid for them, for them yeah. through your tuition. So, so go ahead and go do those. Your seven hundred seventy dollars also paid for that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I always try to get the most out of all those kinds of things I can. But yeah, I did all kinds of things like that. You know, I'd go skiing with the university. I'd go. Uh, they they offered rock climbing trips, intramural sports, yep. um, cave trips. Yeah, groups on campus. Yeah, be yeah. part of these things. Yeah, Labor Day at the lake. All this kind of stuff that that you know did we did at our university. So yeah, so that's the point. Is if if you don't have any amount of resilience. Man, college is not for you. Yep. Um, or at least not yet. You need to develop resilience before you go to college. Yeah, and no shame if you gotta go and and this is probably number four. Yes. If you need to take a semester off, that's fine. Do that. Uh, and that's that's her number four. So number one was master the activities of daily living. Number two, keep your help. Number three, be prepared to struggle. Sometimes fail, but get stronger. And number four, consider taking a semester off or attend a local college or work yeah. full time, something like that. Yeah. Essentially take a step back. Uh, she proposes an idea. Because here's the thing. I'm not a huge fan of the traditional idea of a gap year. Uh, yeah. A gap year in my mind. This isn't always the case. But in my mind is as a time when um, someone gets out of high school and before starting college, like that's already their set intentions, they go and just live like a fun, crazy, you know, year. Not not necessarily crazy, but I know in many cases students are allowed on their parents' dime to go and travel and, and do this kind of stuff. No, nah, I say Fooey on that. Yeah. Uh, what she proposes is what she calls a half step year, um, which is actually what was basically my whole college experience. Um, but don't go away to a college or university. Go to a local um, uh, college that you can stay at home and go to school there. It's yeah. sort of a, a halfway step. Like you're already learning the disciplines behind how to go to school, how to take these classes, and yet you still have the support of your family living in your home. You're not on your own yet. Yeah. Um, there's not only is there no shame in that, but that is extremely cost effective. Yeah. Um, something like Ivy Tech Community College, go and get some of your work out of the way there. You're going to save money. Yep. You're going to ease into the, you're not going to be shocked by going yep. away and being on your own at college. You're going to be well prepared also for the next step if you do go on to finish a four year degree. Yep. Uh, I think that's a great option. Um, and for some, she, she said, I do recommend a, a full gap year. Uh, take time. Don't go directly into college, but don't go do nothing. Yep. Uh, that is not the yeah, point. Be of Be careful year. training yourself to chill out. You, yeah. You'll be really good at that. Right. <laughs> go take on duties and responsibilities. Get a job. Work full time for a year. Yep. And so this was largely this was kind of my experience. Not exactly, but but close. Where I got out of high school and didn't really know what I wanted to do, um, but I decided I was going to go to college. It was I kind of in a sense fell into the trap of. Yeah, college is naturally what you do after high school, um, especially if you don't know what else to do. Go to college. Um, I don't think that's a good suggestion anymore. Um, 
I've changed my mind on that. But I went to college with a, an accounting degree, started taking a bunch of general ed stuff for a year. And after a year of doing that, I kind of said, what, what am I doing? Like, I don't even know what I want to do. I don't want to be an accountant. I know that. Uh, but I don't know what I want to do. So I decided rather than stay here and keep spending my money, um, or rather largely the government's money, because I, I did get financial assistance. And because USI is a very cheap uh, state school and I was in state living at home, I was able to get, that's another thing, consider the costs of these things and yeah. how, to, how to manage these. Yeah. There's no shame in going to a local college and, and saving your money. But um, yeah, I was like, I'm not going to keep spending this money and wasting my time if I don't know what I'm going to do. So I, uh, after a year, applied at Toyota, got on a Toyota and decided, no, I'm going to go make money. So I spent a year working at Toyota. Mind you, I started at Toyota when I was 19. So I was 19, 20 years old, working this job that with a bunch of grown adult men and um, and making grown adult money while I was living at home with right. my mom. Right. Specifically, what were you doing day by day? Uh, so I was in what's called conveyance. So I didn't necessarily work directly on the assembly line, like putting together cars and, and parts. Um, my job was the, the group of people that get the parts from the trucks on which they come to the line. Yep. So that might involve unloading a truck on a fork, uh, forklift. Uh, it might involve delivering. You had like a train with like, a, you had a tow motor and you pull carts around and you deliver parts to the line where people yep. are assembling them. Um, sometimes there were sort jobs where you had to sort things out, get them ready to go for the people on the line. But um, it was very, it was manual labor, physical work. Um, but for one thing, I found it to be really enjoyable having something to do. It gave me a, a purpose, a responsibility, duty. Um, How long was your shift? Uh, well, it was always eight hours, but you at Toyota, they do a mandatory overtime. Yeah. So if you don't meet your deadline for the day, then however many... Uh, however long it's going to take you to finish that day's quota, yep. you have to work that amount of overtime up to the, the longest overtime I ever saw was two and a half hours. Yep. Um, Cause eventually you're going to start cutting into the other shift and things. Um, but so, so it could be anywhere from eight to 10 hours. Um, but uh, sometimes it was only, only less than nine, yep. but yeah. So, but it was great. And not only did it, I think really grow me in discipline and, uh, and, and foster even more of a work ethic. Um, but I was making money instead of spending money. Mm -hmm. And with that money that I made in that one year, mind you, I'm, I'm 19 years old when I start there, 20, I'm not married. I'm living at home. I was basically making like pure, uh, right. what do you call it? Disposable income almost. Um, but I was saving it. I was storing it away. And ultimately I was able to buy the car that I still have now to the stamp 29 now. Uh, and the Toyota Camry that I bought while I was there, yep. um, it was a 2011 Toyota Camry. I was able to pay for in cash yep. uh, and come out of that with a, a, a car that I still drive to this day. Very yep. reliable, very good car. Um, and came out of there with a much greater idea of my purpose, what I wanted to do. Uh, and yeah. So I, the idea of a, of a gap year is not one of, hey, go just be lazy. Go mm -hmm. have fun before you go to college. Um because unfortunately, that's a lot of people's view of college is it's yep. a lot of fun, um, which it, it was a lot of fun. I don't want to act like it's not. It's pure duty and, and hardship. It's mm -hmm. not. Um, but you ought to consider, okay, maybe I ought to take a step back. Don't yep. go away to college. Stay at home. Go to a local university. Save my money. Ease into this process. Or ultimately, and she doesn't say this. She, she's very pro-college, which is fine. Um, I think it's worth, worth asking the question, do I, should I go to college at all? Sure. Because if you don't know what you want to do, all you're going to do is spend your money at college. Yep. And I would also say if, 
if what you want to do is um, gender studies uh, or uh, things like this, man, just know that you're going to go to college. You're going to spend all this money, but don't expect to get out of this and have some $50,000, $60,000 a year job that you're just – and then you can easily pay off your debt. Yeah, like, you need to ask the question of – how much employment is available from what I'm about yeah. to get with the degree count, that I'm about to get the cost. Yeah. That's the thing is, because look, if, if there's not much, what are the chances you can go get some job like you're thinking without going to college? In many cases, that is the, that is the case. Um, but also you, and, and people who, who dedicate all this time and energy to go to college and then end up in a career where they make very little money. There's respect there. Like, especially for people who go into things like social work, work and things like that. Um, I think there's, there's reason to, to admire that and, and things like that. And that, that's, could be very noble, but you need to know that ahead of time. Yeah. So the encouragement ought to be sit down before you go to college as you're considering it, consider what field do I want to go into and then look up salaries for that field, yep. schooling required for that field. And if you come to the conclusion that I'm going to end up just living my whole life in debt, if I go into this field and go to college for it, maybe consider something else. Yep. There are great, there are great college, um, degree programs that will really set you up well in life. You know, you think about things like engineering or like accounting, if you, if you like numbers um, or uh, certain medical professions like nursing and things like that, that, yeah, you could potentially do really well going and getting a degree in one of these things. And there are others. Those are just some examples, but just know that if you're going to go and get a lot of liberal arts degrees, so if you're going to go for something like history uh, or um, art history (laughs) or, uh, uh, gender studies or, or psychology. Look, yeah. uh, and, and these are not fields that I'm just completely saying they're just stupid fields, but just know, unless you're planning on going all the way and getting your PhD, right. you're not yeah, psych- find... A degree in psychology yeah, will not oh, get man. you very far. Yeah, this is just the honest truth. Yeah. I know a lot of people who have a psychology degree who is it's serving them no purpose now except for they're in debt. Yep, and, and you're in debt and you have a bachelor's degree at the very least. You can say you have a bachelor's degree on your application to Toyota, uh, but that's just... It'll help you with a little bit of pay if you're willing to do the work at a place like that. Um, maybe, so. maybe, but right? I don't, maybe, maybe not. I, whenever I hired on, hired on at Toyota, I don't think it would have made any difference if I'd had a, a bachelor's degree or not. They're like, "Look, this is great that you got this degree. We just want you to drive this fork truck, though." Sure. <laughs> so, yep, you know. And just to be clear, she advises this half step year for students who have mental health, substance abuse, eating yep. disorders. Um, people who are reliant on parents, counselors, medication to function adequately. You need to build your own bridge to get there. You, yeah. you cannot expect someone to just kind of come under you as you're walking and sort out how you're going to make it through. Uh, this is going to be a challenging process. Yeah. Um, well, we're pressed for time here. I do want to mention that kind of as a bonus, she does have advice for colleges themselves. Yeah. Uh, two things. Just one, don't oversell what you can do. This will come back to bite you. Yeah. You're, you're going to, it, it's being publicized now and it should be the, lack of success rates, the failure rates for these colleges, that enrollment versus graduation. Uh, every college should have those numbers that are publicized widely. That matters a lot because that's a, that's a, uh, that's a case of how honest are you about how your college, what it really provides for students. Yeah. And this gets at the thing that we didn't, that I, mm-hmm. we didn't talk about earlier. Um, but, and that is, universities have a financial interest in yep. you coming to their university. Yeah. And oh, you, 
uh, you know, because tuitions are so outrageously expensive nowadays. Yeah. And, and we're not going to get into all of the, the whys of, of why that is or whether it should or shouldn't be. But just recently, we've had this federal um, student loan forgiveness yep. that I guess is still in the process. Yep. I don't know if it's completely taken effect yet, but it's passed. Um, and so, but what is this has exposed our exposed us to is opened our eyes to is the reality that geez, college is so expensive and mm-hmm. the debt that you rack up is so debilitating. And guess what? The colleges are getting their money. Yeah. Like if you come to their university, whether you take out a loan from the government or not, they get their money. Mm-hmm. So if you think uh, of a, if a college and university, if it costs in tuition, um, 20 grand to go there for, for, for a year or semester yep. or whatever you enroll, they get that money. Yep. So they are very much, um, they have financial gain. Yep. Uh, they're, they're interested in you coming there. Yep. And I think that obviously follow, always follow the money uh, yep. where there is such great gains for financially there is, it's open to corruption. Yep. And, and this is maybe a minor area of corruption, but they are not as likely to tell you the truth about, uh, the struggles of college or the consequences, uh, whenever they are interested in getting you there, they're much more likely to assure you, Oh, absolutely. We can handle whatever you can throw at us. They're like, uh, Kari on The Incredibles, she was like, I can totally handle anything this baby can throw at me. Right. Can't they, little baby? Can't they? You know, I feel like that's the way, the way universities are when they're trying to sell you on. Right. On and meanwhile, I, a quote from her is huge here. Uh, she says, quote, campuses are barely supervised environments, and even the small caring institutions that take pride in individual attention have cracks into which students can fall. Absolutely true. Mm-hmm. Absolutely true. It is scary. There are students. I wonder how many students today will wake up on a campus, walk to class, not talk to anybody, sit through a lecture, go back to their dorm, not talk to anybody, and spend this day. You can be anonymous. There's, there's no place in a lot of these situations where you are forced to talk to someone. Yeah. And that's awful right. for people. That is right. awful for us. And we've created an atmosphere that sort of caters to that. Yeah. It's, it's like a box that we go, I don't know, go in that box. Hopefully you'll come out on the other side and you're in good shape. And it's like, that box is very impersonal. I mean, that box does not train you in a lot of ways to engage with people to solve problems. And that's a big problem. That's a big yep. issue. Yep. So uh, don't, don't oversell it. It will yep. come back to bite you. That is a, a word to universities. There's a second one. What's the other yeah, one? Yeah, you take the other one. Uh, so, so the last, last one she gives, and this is, again, to universities or student affairs professionals. <clears throat> she says, don't treat everything as trauma. Not everything is trauma. Um, and we, are, uh, we live in a society today where um, in these especially more liberal arts governed places, um, whether we like it or not, universities tend to be more run by a specific kind of people. And everything can be treated as trauma to the point where you almost set these students up as they're yep. coming in to expect this kind of trauma. Yep. Like I'm going to go onto this campus and I'm going to be uh, treated. I'm going to be bullied. I'm going to be uh, hated by my professors. I'm going to be sexually assaulted. All of this is going to happen. You can put so much fear into them that if they didn't have anxiety before they started university, mm-hmm. they sure will when they get there yep. um, because everything is now treated as trauma yep. it, to the point that even being told by your professor, no, you cannot have an extension. I gave you a deadline and you didn't meet it. Yeah. Could be considered as trauma. Yeah. And we need to do away with that. What's the difference between trauma and a challenge? Uh, we, we've got to clarify in our minds what these things are. Here's a quote from her. Quote, I, 
I sometimes think that student affairs professionals, despite our best intentions, might be making things worse. The result, uh, she later says, we now use trauma-informed communication in our efforts to prepare and protect young people from the terrifying experience that await them as college students. And one thing to say, I hope that we've given the impression, look, college is a very exciting time. Yeah. I think being on a campus, I still love to go to USI's campus, any of these campuses. It reminds me of what it was like to walk around my college, where you can meet all kinds of people, where you can learn so many different things that you never know what's going to happen. But it is a place where it takes courage and it takes... Yeah. It takes uh, guts. It takes uh, it takes tenacity. The ability to get back up because you're gonna you don't know you're gonna take a test and you might fail it. Yeah. I mean that experience of walking out of a room going, you know, I could walk. I could come back with like a sixty five on that, but hey, I could come back with a ninety five. Who knows? Oh man, I had that experience a lot. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah, I agree. We, and this is like I said, someone would hear me talk about college, but maybe think <laughs> I hate college. I loved my college experience. It really was a great time. It had difficulties, um, but I loved it, and I think it, it served me well. Uh, but, man, you need to know a lot of things going into it before you just jump in. And it's not for everyone. And, and man, I, I would en- encourage people, like, don't think that if you're, if you're in high school, uh, don't think that college is your only option yeah. or that other options are just not good at all. There was lots of good options mm-hmm. out there. Uh, let me let me put it to you this way. Um, I have two brothers. One's one's my twin brother. One's a couple years older than me. Neither one of whom went to college. Both of them are making a lot more money than I am now. Have families and are able to care for their families and treat them well. And they love what they do and they love the time they get to spend with their families. Yep. And what do your brothers do? Uh, so my older brother uh, works at a. He's kind of a, a warehouse manager, kind of sort of uh, up near um, near Vincent's. Um, area. And then my twin brother, Daniel, is a firefighter. Mm-hmm. And both of them work hard, but they love what they do. Yep. And they love, and they're able to provide for their families really well. Yep. Um, and so, man, like, I, I don't know what your goals are in life, but if, if you are thinking that if I want to do those things, if I want to, you know, love life, enjoy my job, if I want to be able to care for a family, I have to go to college. Sure. Uh, if I want to be able to buy a home, both of them own homes, by the way, um, I have to go to college. That's not true. Yeah, you don't. That, that's a lie. And so don't don't believe that lie. While at the same time, I also loved college, and it sure. could be great. Yep. Uh, but you need to know these things going into it ahead of time. All right. We're going to tie it up there. This has been Empires of the Future. And we will see you in the future. <laughs>